What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Bible Boys. My name is James. And I'm Pip. It's another week. It is. It's a new day, Monday morning. It's a lovely day. And more college. Yes. Um, one more week to go until research week. Yes. So, so uh, you know, that doesn't mean much for people who aren't here. Really what it means is we get a week to to catch up with as much college as we want mm, or, mm. or to do an assignment yeah. or something. Uh, research week just means, you know, uh, catch up week essentially. Mm. Uh, so what, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, did you have anything due at the end of research week next week? Yeah, we've got a, um, I believe it's an Old Testament essay, <laughs> which obviously I haven't really looked at much just yet. Yes. But um, thinking about Isaiah. Yeah, nice. And thinking about... Some different topics within Isaiah. I think that's one we got to. Yeah, great. Yeah. Do you have anything due at the end? Of- yeah, I do. Uh, I've got a I've got a doctrine essay that's due at the end of research week. Okay. But um, in God's kindness, I've actually uh, I, I found time to to work on that um, last semester. You so got it done. I got it done. Oh man! <laughs> How good. So I I got it done. Well, okay. To full disclosure, I got it done last semester. Mm. But I uh, at the start of this semester, week two, I worked on it some more and I resubmitted it again. Mm. Um, so yeah, I got it done five weeks in advance. Nice. Which is a pretty a nice feeling. Nice, nice feeling because it's a pretty big semester. Yeah. And I was thinking, well, last semester for us for us Hebrew students in second year. It wasn't as intense, mm-hmm. so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll get a head, I'll get a, you know, head start on on second semester, mm-hmm. and I worked on my essay. That's good. Yes, so good. I, I would what do a spot. The, what on was it. the like the question on? Yes, so I'll say the question. Yeah. Uh, it's and then I'll explain a bit of it. It's um, divine persons are accidental to the divine essence. Ah, Evaluate yes. the statement. Ah. And I, I think I mentioned this on the podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah. But yeah, essentially the question is this: Does God have to be Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Mm. Um, could God have had? Could God have a, a fourth person of of the of mm. the Godhead that we don't know about? Mm. Or maybe is there only two people, uh, two persons of of the Godhead? Or uh, does God adopt the forms of Father, Son, Holy Spirit when He's mm. revealing Himself? Does God have to be Father, Son, Holy Spirit? That's mm. essentially what the question is. Yes, no answer. Uh, yes, the answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> Has to be. <laughs> Has to be Father, Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. Okay. Yeah. Right. But we'll get into that in a future. Okay. Episode. Pip, how mm. are you doing? I'm going alright. I'm going alright. I went for a run this morning. Hey. My knee, there's something not quite right. Oh no. So, yes. You're going to go see a physio about it? I mean, I remember last time you hurt yourself, ChatGPT was your physio. Yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I didn't, no, I don't, I don't go to physios to be honest. <laughs> Time heals all wounds. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just a little, just a little something. So we'll see how it goes on yeah. next time. Wednesday. What was your time this morning? If you don't mind sharing. Uh, I ran like 12 Ks in like an hour. Oh, so you went, you went for distance today. Yeah. So most of my running is long runs and sl- slower. Mm. Cause that's the key. Uh, to, to, to build the speed. Yes. Okay. Because the 5K run. Yes. Is mainly about your, not really about your like speed and your like kind of strength. Uh huh. Uh-huh. It's mainly about your, if like your cardio fitness. Right. You know, and, it's, and you know, like a lot of the 5K mm-hmm. to an outside perspective kind of looks like jogging, but it's, it's kind of like, 
spreading out the energy yeah right as efficiently as possible over that 5k okay so would you say that there are some people who do the full 5k sprinting the whole time like i would say anyone who runs the five you're the person who is the fastest in the world at the 5k Mm. they could run they could sprint like 100 meters faster than that pace of the 5k i'd say yeah right yeah yeah yeah, well, uh, I'd assume that. Yeah, I guess yeah. it's just, can you sustain full-on sprinting no, for 5Ks? No, I don't think anyone in the world can. No, yeah, right. No. Okay, yeah. there you go. Yeah. But uh, I, I hope that um, I hope you work out what's going on with your knee. you got a few months left. Mm. Uh, for listeners who don't remember, Pip has a wager with, with one of his best friends mm. about whether or not he can do 5Ks in less than 20 minutes. Well, it's actually... Oh, has it changed now? No, no, so that's what I, I initially thought it was, but it's actually... Whoever has the fastest 5k. Oh, so now it's not even about some bar out there. It's a bar between you two. Yes. Although my, the first hurdle in my mind is the 20 minutes. Okay. Now, my friend. Yes. Has run 1948. Wow. Okay. So that's really the goal now. Okay. Um, I think we can get there. Yeah, I, I think you can get there yeah, as well. I think we can get there. Uh, you're a competitive person. Yep. <laughs> you know, when, when you set your mind to something, which, let's be frank, is not all the time, but when you do yes. set your mind yes. to something... I'll go for it. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll go yeah. for it. Yeah. I, have, I have big trust in you, Pip. I think you can do Thank it. Thank you, James. I ran quick on Saturday. Yes. I um, ran 20 minutes and 50 seconds. That's awesome. So if I can shave off a minute off that, yeah. I'll be right in the game. Yes, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Yes. Ah, no, thanks for sharing. Have you run? Do I run? Not anymore. Should I run? Probably. Have, Have you... I run? Very much so. What's the longest run you've gone for Ooh. in your life? Um, hmm. Good question. What's the longest run I've ever gone for? It's probably not as, you know, very long. I'd say maybe nine, ten Ks. Yeah, right. Wow. Yeah. That's but, crazy. but it wasn't in, on a, on a street. It was on a treadmill. Oh, okay. Um, right. so it's different. Okay. You know, I would say that that's. I would never compare that with someone who did 10k's out outside. How long ago was that? Oh, a while ago now, maybe eight years ago. Yeah, yeah right. something like yeah. that. Oh, uh, no, no, no. It was uh, seven, six or seven years ago. Yeah. You know, this podcast might be a lot more interesting if you were trying to beat my time. <laughs> you know what? That might not be a bad idea. Next year? I, I need to I need to move more. You know, this is one of the things about lunchtime cricket. I used to play, last year, I'd play lunchtime ping pong mm. with college students. And I realized I just need to move more. So I try to walk around Newtown more. I, I try to yeah, do nice. at least 8,000 steps a day yeah. um, uh, with, with brisk pace, you know. Mm. Um, just as a side note, uh, you know, every, People say, do your 10,000 steps. Um, I read a journal article that came out in January that said 8,000 at a brisk pace has the same health effect as 10,000 at a, you know, easygoing pace. So for me, 8,000 steps a day, you know, well, that that's what I want. That doesn't make sense intuitively, does it? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> well, it's like 2,000 less steps. <laughs> it is 2,000 less so steps. So it's 2,000 less steps worth of calories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if it's at a brisk pace, it's... Oh, okay. I see, I see what you're saying. Yes. That's, if it's briskly done. Yes, that's right. And I, I'm a brisk walker. I'm mm. a very... Anyway, but... Uh, and that's why as well, I've started playing lunchtime cricket when I can because mm. I get more movement in. 
and I need more movement. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I, this is I've one s- of the I've things. I've seen you bowling out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've gotten better. You've gotten better? Yeah. yeah. After, you know, two and a half terms of, of us scrambling around. Mm. But uh, And I used to play cricket in primary school. Not very good, but I used to play cricket. Yeah, well. um, anyway, but the thing is, I need to move more. And I... It's one of those things about, you know, sometime, I, I did a, I did a Bible Boys extras uh, a long time ago mm. on gluttony. Mm. One of the things that, one of the misconceptions about gluttony is gluttony is just, you know, you, you, you are, you are uh, heavier. Mm. The problem is that for someone like me who uh, has a pretty fast metabolism, I, I can be uh, gluttonous mm. and you won't even tell. Um, so gluttony is not just a condition of, you know, exteriors. It's a condition of the heart. Mm. And so for me, as someone who, you know, I eat a lot, uh, and I, I don't move as much. Um, and to be frank, to, to be clear here, gluttony is not, um, just about movement. Point being that I can be living quite an unhealthy lifestyle and you can't tell mm. Mm. because I have a fast metabolism. Mm. And so you have to go beyond the exteriors. Anyway. I think Jesus said something about that, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's true. It's very true. Hey, so last week you were scrambling to get your ethics essay done. Mm. And uh, it's done. It's done. It is finished. It is finished. He has done it. <laughs> and by he, I do mean me in this, <laughs> in this context. Not just, but, um, you know, it was uh, very in- it was interesting. It was helpful. I think I shared a bit last week about mm. um, just thinking in some different ethical modes. Yes. Um was helpful just to see there's different ways you can look at why following Jesus is a good thing to do. Why mm. trusting Jesus is a good thing to do. Yes. Um, now, before we, because we're going to talk about an ethics topic today, and mm. our listeners probably already know from the title of mm. this episode, mm. um, we're going to talk about a spicy topic. Mm. We'll get into that. But emotionally, how do you feel trying to, because I feel like, um, from my perception as a second year was that a lot of the third years were really scrambling to get this done. So maybe some people were skipping some class or, you know, staying home and, and, you know, uh, which may not, inc- may or may not include you. It may have included me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, what was it, what was it like emotionally for you with this essay? What, what do you think it was that, that got people so, um, worked up about this essay in particular? Um, okay. Well, I will say this. Our lecturer, mm-hmm. who you may know, T-Pain. <laughs> Tony Payne, yes. Um, did say, he said uh, in one of the early classes this year, he said, this will be the hardest essay you write this during college. Wow. Now, I think it might have just been a clever ploy <laughs> to get us all worked up over it and to put a lot of effort into it. Because, you know, I mean, it, was, it wasn't easy. The hardest? Maybe not. <laughs> we'll see how the marks go. But, but it was... Um, it was a really interesting essay, and I think there's, there is something like emotional about the question itself, which is, you know, we're looking at, um, Matthew 16, 24 to 28. You know, anyone who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. And just thinking through why is that, like, what is Jesus' reason? Like, why follow Jesus? It's mm. a, it, it gets to, like, the heart of, like, what we're trying to do here at Bible College, which is to figure out um, who Jesus is, who God is, what the Bible says, what the Bible is, um, what it means to follow Jesus, why we should follow Jesus. And I guess, like, another, like, 
byproduct of it is figuring out how to communicate that to people who aren't Christians. So people who aren't Christians might look in at a Christian who's maybe grown up in a church or looks, looks at a church and looks at how people are living and I say they're basically abiding by what's called like communitarian ethics where it's like the reason you live that way is because your community lives that way uh, that all the people around you live that way and that's why you live that way and there's nothing you know I don't think anyone would say there's anything inherently wrong with that although it has led to disastrous things in history, that kind of, you know, whatever the people around me doing, that's what I'll do. Um, But I think as Christians, we need to kind of just push back against that assumption that we're just kind of going with the flow of our community and say, no, there there are good reasons to follow Jesus other than the kind of social benefits of belonging to a church, having lots of friends if you're in a church, um, which, you know, a lot of... <laughs> sometimes when I talk to, like, my non-Christian friends, they'll make comments like, it must be nice to, like, you know, belong to a church where you you have friends and, like, you know, obviously, you know, met my wife at church and all that. There's all these sorts of, like, social benefits that come with it. But it's like, that's not the core reason why it's right to follow Jesus. Mm. And so to be able to kind of speak to that a bit more is, has been helpful. Um, yeah. Mm. And, ev- and even just to go kind of go past some of the basic, you know, um, you know, well, if Jesus is real, then we should follow him. If Jesus really did die and rise, then we should follow him, mm. which is true. But how can you flesh it out? How can you add some colour to that? Yeah, nice. I feel like that then, not just <clears throat> from the topic of ethics, but yeah, as you're saying, it, it strikes really to the heart of why we want to share the gospel with people. Mm. Um, and so I, I almost imagine that, as with a lot of assignments at college, it intersects with your own practice, past and present. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what you've said, or, and making you question what you should say. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, I've given taught, like, this has kind of revealed to me that some kind of pres- gospel presentations I've done in the past may, were, were not the fullest that they could have been, the most helpful that they could have been. Mm. Um, and I've heard presentations where it's really been, you know, um, you know, if you don't trust in Jesus, Hell is what awaits. Mm-hmm. Do you trust in Jesus? Heaven is what awaits. How good is heaven? How bad is hell? Follow Jesus. Mm. That's like there's a logic to that, and it's helpful. Of like it's it's incredibly important to understand those eternal realities. Mm. Um, but I think the Bible it gives us that, but it gives us more than that mm. as well. Yeah, as, as incentives to follow Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful, helpful. Now, you're about to uh, lead us in a discussion, and we're going to have a back and forth about uh, ethics and climate change. Yeah, climate change, which obviously, massive topic. Yes. um, And it is, it kind of brings together a few different things, many of which I'm by no means expert in at all. So, science. Yes. The science of climate change, not an expert in the science of climate change. Um, I defer just, you know, 
some people don't, but I do defer. I trust the kind of made a majority scientific consensus on the issue of climate change, which is that it, it's real, um, that humans do play a significant part in the kind of fu- the direction of our planet in terms of its climate. Um, I think that's the major scientific view, and mm. so I agree with that. So can I jump in at this yeah, yeah. point? Yeah. I think it's worth just interrogating that for a little bit. Let mm. me say a few things about that, because there are lots of people who, at this point, would switch off yes. and say, no, nah, I'm done, Yes, because uh, you, you are just trusting the scientists at this mm. point. You, you're uh, capitulating to the world. You're letting, you're letting the world's views overtake and supersede your views on scripture. Yep. Um, and I think, uh, can, can I say a few things about that? Yeah, and then sure. Have you responded? Yeah, and, 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 and I think it's a good thing to raise because I've met people, like I've met like Christians who said, um, no, they don't believe the science mm. and they will not defer to people no matter how expert they're deemed to be, mm. um, which is an interesting take. Mm. One I don't go with, yeah. but yeah, so what would you say? Yeah, well, I'm going to just do a brief, say a few mm. things mm. because there's, I've, I mean, I've said this multiple times on the podcast before, but one of the th- things that I did at university was um, history and philosophy of science and thinking a lot about how science intersects with other disciplines, but especially how you think about this as a Christian. And so um, there's a lot more that could be said. Let me just say a few things. First of all is to say that modern science in its current incarnation uh, is built on the foundation of Christian uh, principles. That doesn't mean that everyone who does science is a Christian, but actually the way in which we do things like modern science is based on Christian principles. So for example, the fact that we believe in uh, multiple um, collaborators and peer reviewers for your results, um, Peter Harrison, the Australian historian of science, um, has forcefully argued that that arose out of a belief in original sin. Mm. Now, actually, you can't trust any one person's thinking and belief. And so, actually, one of the ways you mitigate the effects of the fall, um, it, it's twofold. One is through collaboration. Mm. Um, actually, having multiple people looking at it is better than just trusting one person. But secondly, that God really has revealed something of himself truly in nature. And so it's a trust in the in the common grace of God mm. and his natural revelation. You get natural revelation in places like Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Romans 1, uh, you know, uh, for even from... Um, in the creation, God's invisible attributes, his divine power uh, and, and um, immortal nature. Great, I'm... Uh, not getting the verse right there, but in Romans 1, we see that God reveals himself through creation as well. And so I think that one thing it's worth saying is that uh, science has a foundation of Christian principles, and science, modern science, has led to uh, degrees of truth. Mm. And one of the great things about science is that it keeps changing uh, and, and can revise its beliefs and, and, and keep you know growing. And so... One of the things that Christians, I think Reformed Christians, those who believe in God's sovereignty and his revelation in nature and through uh, prophets and special revelation, mm. um, prophets being part of special revelation, um, is that we, we tacitly hold to all truth that we find, if it really is true, is God's truth. Mm. And that the only reason it's tacit is because maybe sometimes things that are claimed to be truth will be shown to not be truth later. 
But the way we approach the world is on the basis of truth. And so the Christian's methodology should be, well, yeah, the Bible isn't a science textbook, but in as much as science does give us truth, we appeal to the scientists. We appeal to the common grace revelations. We appeal to the historians and the mathematicians and the biologists and so on. That's not a that's not overtaking God's revelation. No, it's actually a thorough belief that that is God's revelation. And that's a really important thing to say, that if climate change really is the result, um, at least the, the, the understanding of it, through natural sciences, and it is true in what the scientists have found, Christians have a, have a duty, I would say, and we're going to get into this, mm. to actually live in light of that, to live in light of that which we have found. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one because I think a lot of, um, let's say, climate deniers would maybe come back at that and say, um, like, I understand that the God's made the world and, and, you know, the observations we make about the world, we, we need to take those observations seriously. I think what people are maybe more denying and sceptical about is the um, institutional science, the, the publishing of papers and the politics involved and the, um, the narratives that people tell through the presentation of data in a particular way. Um, if I'm talking to someone and it becomes clear that they are a climate denier, at the moment, I tend not to take it on myself to try to change their mind on that. Because I don't necessarily see it as a moral wrong to be a climate denier. I would say it might be, it's, it's about the heart, right? It's about why, why are they denying the, the kind of major scientific consensus? Mm. Like why are they doing that? Yeah, yeah. And if I don't know why, and maybe I'll, I'll try and figure that out mm. if I'm talking to someone. But um, no, I'm not, I'm not going to kind of say that that's all, all of that is wrong, um, which is tricky, right? Mm. Which is tricky because, you know, I care about the environment. I care about climate change issues. Um, I, yeah, want people to be on board with it. But at the same time, I don't think it's a necessarily always a moral issue if people aren't. Mm. And so I just want to be careful there, particularly because I'm not a science, uh, cl climate change science expert. Yeah. yeah. No, and no, I so think that's a helpful thing to say. Yeah. If you're talking to someone at church and <clears throat> it becomes clear that they don't believe in the human kind of effects with climate change, mm. would, how would you, would you just kind of let that slide? Well, what's your kind of... Well, as a general, like, big picture thing, mm. I, don't, I don't think it's my responsibility to change anyone's mind yeah. on, on anything. I, I will try to speak convincingly and uh, with conviction about what I believe, yeah. but I, I trust God to change people. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't get too anxious about someone sharing that they are a climate change yeah. denier. But it's, an interest, it's an interesting one in a church context mm. because... Our unity is not around, you know, whether we take a particular view on a science. A science. Yes. 
it's around whether we take a particular view on who Jesus is. Yes, yes. And so it's an interesting one when something like that, that comes up, which is a massive issue. Yes. How do we talk about it in church when we've got pe- some people who are skeptical, some people who are on the other end, a- activists and want yeah, for sure. change? And it's worth saying that I, I think that I would want to ask questions because it can reveal broader things that are maybe going on. Mm. So for one thing, it could in, in, uh, reveal um, maybe an ignorance mm. of, of how it is that science relates with the rest of the world and Christianity in particular, as if you should always be suspicious of scientists. Um, so I, I'd want to ask questions about that. Mm. Another thing it could reveal is that they've been listening to too many right-wing political commentators. And to be clear here, um, I think that there's an agenda on, shall we say, both sides of politics, sure. if I can be reductionistic for a second. Sure. Um, the climate change deniers have a political imp- um, incentive in that climate change policies would stifle continued uh, production and growth mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. From, an, from an economic perspective. Yeah. Uh, from another angle, so people who are climate change activists, there is very, one of the critiques which I, I hold to is there's very selective application of, of what change should happen. So for instance, you've got a lot of celebrities who are really big on, okay, we need to go ahead and, you know, mm. do things about climate change. Um, but they are completely fine to have their own private jets, you know, uh, to, to eat avocados uh, and so on. Like the, the environmental impacts of eating avocados uh, is huge, mm. actually, mm. Um, for example. So, uh, and tomatoes, <laughs> actually. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that about tomatoes. There you go. Um, but the, the, the point being that I don't think that any side of politics here is completely neutral mm. about this. Um, but if someone is a, to answer the question, you know, uh, someone who's a climate change denier, I'd go, well, are you buying into a particular narrative that says we shouldn't even talk about this because of the impacts on business? To which as a Christian, I'm going, there's an ethical issue there now. Mm. If, if profit and continued production is the highest good, that is an ethical theory. Yeah. That is a, that is a way of thinking about the world that will impact uh, questions about, well, what, what should we be on about as Christians ethically? Mm. Uh, what should we be on about in terms of what we value as a family? What should we be on about in terms of what we're instilling in, in the next generation for mm. what they should think about the world? Um, productivity and efficiency are not the highest goods for a Christian. Mm. I think that's important to say as well. So for me, it, it's, it's more about what, what may be behind it. Is it their views about how science relates with the world? Is it their views on maybe how they've been impacted by political commentary and so on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's helpful. That's helpful. Um, but for us, we're going to tacitly assume that there is a degree of truth to what has been put forward yeah. um, by scientists yeah. and think about how to move forward here. And our listeners can disagree with that. But also, uh, I guess I would want to say, question why you disagree with that. Yeah. Before we get into some of the Bible passages that I want to talk about, I do want to say that the issue of climate change is one where Christians can actually engage with the naturalist, the materialist, the, uh, a non-Christian, and um, raise some interesting questions. 
because I do think that a Christian ethical approach to climate change has more meat, more substance to it than a materialist approach. Mm. And so in thinking about this issue, here, here are some of the kind of questions I would raise if someone was talking to me about climate change, just to kind of see where they're coming from. So I'd say, and I'm just going to read a bit from myself, if that's right. Of course. Um, so why conserve resources? Why attempt to curb the climate effects of human consumption, whether individually or corporately? Further questions arise when these issues meet a secular society. Given that life on Earth is limited, regardless of human interference, how long should the Earth be habitable? As long as possible? Or are there certain caveats? The necessity for affordable food, comfortable living standards, freedom to travel, and all the other fuel-dependent things that we enjoy in the modern world. So there's an issue of identifying what is good. That's the first issue. A second issue is where the moral imperative derives. So conserve resources for the sake of future generations. Well, where does that imperative, that command, come from? So some, uh, some proponents of radical policy reform exhibit a consequentialist ethic in response to this issue. Um, where the ends kind of justify the means. Um, We see this in the media and research suggests that um, there's been an increase in kind of the global occurrences of what's called green violence. Green violence, so actions against individuals or corporations or organisations to dissuade pollutive behaviour. Think of people like the Don't Stop Oil. Uh, or ju- not Don't Stop Oil. What is it? Just Stop Oil? Mm, mm, I think that's right. I think Don't Stop Oil is another group. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the opposite. Type yeah, Just Stop Oil. So, you know, um, destroying art, um, annoying, harassing people, um, being getting violent um, in an attempt to um, basically force or convince people to just stop. Because... And, and, you know, these actions are generally justified by comparing the damage caused Mm. in the short term with the long-term damage caused by apathy about climate change. Um, Now, from a secular perspective, people might appeal to different kinds of ethical modes to justify apathy. Mm. So there are lots of people who are, uh, let's say, Naturalists or materialists who are who are apathetic about climate change. They don't they don't want to take action, and so some might appeal to what's called uh, here's some big words mm. legalistic deontology. Oh, basically that I don't need to do anything. I, I can do whatever I want so long as it's legal. Mm. So your kind of ethics is derived by what's within the bounds of law. Um, and more often, people would appeal to like communitarian ethics, which we've al- already mentioned. So defining moral behaviour as what's within the normal bounds of social acceptability. And, I, and this is true. Like for most people, um, their kind of cli- their kind of individual actions that they'll take towards reducing the human effects of climate change 
are based on what they see other people doing around them, what their friends do, you know, what what is just popular. Mm. And so that's, you know, oh, okay, so people are now um, getting around keep cups and it's like, un, it's not socially acceptable to use paper cups in this context. Okay, well, I'm going to get a keep cup, that sort mm. of thing. Um, others would use an ethic of intentionalism. So intentionalism is, is where in, uh, is where you basically justify what you do based on your intentions. And so if you're apathetic about climate change, you could say that inaction is justifiable on the grounds that there is no explicit intention to cause environmental harm. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't want, you know, the earth to be destroyed. Mm. And so, um, you know, nothing that I do is done with an intent to destroy it. So what I do is fine. That kind of, that kind of mode. Um, there's another kind of form, which is more brash, um, probably pronounce this wrong, eudaimonism. Well, basically the pursuit of personal happiness, mm. right? So, you know, I'm just going to live, I'm going to enjoy life. Leave me alone, I'm enjoying my life. And this is popular. Like people will be like, you know, I think people maybe in some contexts are like, yep, I care about climate change, I'm, you know, but in other contexts, let's face it, you know, that, like it's not a concern, you know, um, let's just have fun. Um, you know, like one of the one of the memes at the moment, DJ Khaled. You know, DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled. Yeah, Another one. Yeah, that's right. He's he's massive on his Instagram right now. Is he? Okay. And uh, you know, he's a, a phenomenon um, in the meme world. Um, but you know, people people love DJ Khaled. People get around him. But you know, he he has these videos. <laughs> Where he'll say, uh, you know, bring out the ocean, or tell them to bring out the ocean, or tell them to bring out the lobster, and they'll bring out lobster, and they'll, you know, they'll bring out, you know, um, all this really fun, like massive seafood meals for, yeah. for him to eat, and people celebrate it. People like, you know, and you, you know, read the comments, and no one, no one's saying this is this is wrong, this is wasteful. It's this is fun. This is this is you know. Um, and, you know, when we go out and we you know, maybe have, like, a massive meal, you know, because it's fun, you know, and you, you consume a lot. Even though, in another context, you know, you wouldn't do that if you're uh, in, a, in a little meeting about climate change because someone would call you out and say, you know, uh, eat, like, eating a lot of food and, like, overeating and eating a lot of meat and eating a lot of seafood and stuff like that. It's one of the biggest kind of... Fact, like uh, of the like, fishing, yeah, yeah, yeah. and indi- like big, one of the biggest things an individual can do is actually just to consume less of that. Now, yeah. can I just stop for one second? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm on board with this survey right now. Mm. I guess I just want to clarify that I think where I think you mm. are, are rightly actually intersecting beyond questions of climate change because mm. you've got things like overfishing, mm. you've got the uh, you know, environmental degradation. Mm. You've got impacts of things like climate change. Like those are three related, yes, but different things. 
Yeah. Uh, so like the bring out the ocean thing, I really like that as an idea because people are celebrating this thing, which in another context, they'd go, no, you shouldn't do that. But in this context, with all the pomp and the circumstance and the celebrity and the meme nature of it, yep. they're on board with it. But I think it's just worth saying for our listeners that, yeah, actually, all these things are, are related, but they are different things as well. They are different. But like even in the, um, the amount of fuel that's required to Yes, fish, thank you. Thank you, know, you. yes. There, it is it's a massive impact in, on climate. That's right. So they um, are related. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, yes, they, yeah, they're related. And so I'd say that, that Christians, you know, I just outlined a whole bunch of ways that you can justify your own apathy around mm. climate change. Christians are not immune from this. Mm. Right? Um, and I'm not immune from it. Like, I've been guilty of, you know, th- these ways of, you know, justifying my own apathy. Um, we're not immune from it. And so we must understand environmental issues, social responsibility, in view of theological ethics, broader theological ethics, um, which really will provide a, a, a something against apathy. Um, and so let's think about some Bible passages. Let's think about why it is uh, some of the more classic reasons why people would say, from a Christian perspective, why we should care about the environment. So um, let's just go. Let's just think about God, God creating the world and how He created the world. And so, can I get you to read? Um, I'm going to go to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. And can I get you to read maybe just verses um, 25 to 30? Sure. Here we go. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Right, so from a Christian perspective, God has created the world in this loving, orderly way. I was thinking about it the other day, actually. You know how two ways to live. They got rid of loving out of the first box, whatever. I think they could just put it right back in based on <laughs> stuff like that. Look, the animals are loving life. You know? <laughs> yes. God, God has created things in such a way where even the creatures in, can enjoy God's created order. Um, and yeah, God has created the earth in an ordered way. Um, and when, yeah, when, when we interfere and kind of make, make life horrible for animals or for people based on our action, um, that's going against that created order. Um, so God created the world carefully, thoughtfully, for enjoyment. Um, another passage we could go to, Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 20 to 21. Um, and, and just have a listen to this and see what this shows about the natural world. Do you want to read it, James? Sure. The wild, ja- uh, the wild beasts will honour me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, 
to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Uh, and then verse 22 as well? No, it's fine. Cool. Yeah. So that's just, that's just goes, like, goes to show that when God creates the world, there's a re- there is a result of that, which is that people, uh, people creation praises God because of the way that he's lovingly created it. And so because of God's providence and his goodness in creating the world, it results in praise back to God. And so one of the simple motivations in trying to preserve the natural world and the environment is for, for people to kind of look at the natural world and be like, what a great God, what a good God. Um, and so, you know, we have beautiful oceans, beautiful mountains, beautiful um, outdoors, which a lot of people, and, you know, anecdotally as well, a lot of people find really helpful to um, just enjoy God, enjoy God's creation and results in praise to God. And so we want to commend that. We want to uphold that. We want to facilitate that by being responsible with the way that we use resources in the environment. Um, uh, another commonly kind of appeal to passage for thinking about um, stewarding the earth is Genesis 1. So let's go to Genesis 1. And can I get you to read... Um, 26. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and all over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Right, and so here, something that makes humans special, or humans, particularly human, is that they're given a role in the created order. They're given the role to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and the animals. And, you know, just as God has dominion over everything, so humans are kind of made in God's image to, to have dominion over the natural world. And so part of that stewardship is to try to be like God in the way that we have, that, have dominion, which is loving, caring, um, careful, and so, um, yeah, if we choose not to be careful with the, with the natural world that God has given us, um, that goes, that flies right in the face of this sort of thing. Right? Um, there are just a few passages to kind of introduce this idea of like our stewardship over the world and why we should care for it. Um, but I do want to bring it back to kind of the, the verse, some of the focus verses where, um, which we looked at for the essay. So thinking about Matthew 16, um, 24, where Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Um, I would say that part of following Jesus is a willingness to um, suffer. We follow we follow Jesus because of the uh, consequences that he outlines in the passage right after, where he talks about heaven and hell, and he talks about eternal realities. 
Well, we follow Jesus primarily because he is the Messiah, which actually comes right before Peter recognises that Jesus is the Messiah. And he kind of rounds out that section by saying that he's the son of man, who in Daniel is the one who's promised to have an everlasting kingdom, God's chosen king, the everlasting kingdom. And so we follow Jesus because of who he is, not simply because of the consequences that he outlines for obedience or disobedience, following or not following, um, but because of who he is. He is God. We live by faith that God is good, that God has created and set up the world in a good way, and that his Messiah is good, that Jesus is good, and that to follow Jesus is good. And so, when Jesus says, um, when, when Jesus says to love your enemy, or to love as I have loved, or um, 1 John 4, 7 to 11, that kind of classic, we did that as a memory verse. Um, actually, do you want to just read out 1 John 4, 7 to 11? Could you just read that out? So I think we're moving now into the territory of like, okay, we're thinking from creation, but now we're thinking to love and the Christian call to love. And how does love play into this issue of climate change? Because some, some people would argue, and I think fairly enough, that um, to love future generations, to love our children and our children's children, is genuine love. Um, as abstract as it might be to think of loving someone who's not even born yet mm. in a few generations' time, that that is included in the... And we can talk about this. Mm. Um, that that's included in what love can be. But do you just want to read out 1 John 4, 7 to 11? Sure. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Right. So just a few things there. Notice why, the first kind of why, it says to love. Love for, love comes from God. We live by faith that God is good, that God is loving, that God is worth obeying and following and trusting. And love comes from God, and that's why we want to love. God demonstrated his love in a self-sacrificial manner, was willing to... um, Jesus suffered in order to bring people relief from suffering and from God's wrath and judgment. And, the, and so a Christian mode of love is to be willing to suffer, to be willing to self-sacrifice for the sake of others. And so, you know, from a secular perspective, where does the imperative come from to sacrifice your quality of life to boost up someone else's quality of life? I'm not sure where you find it. Where is the imperative for us? It comes from God. It's demonstrated in Jesus. That's why you would sacrifice your quality of life, not just so that someone else's quality of life might meet yours, 
but even might surpass yours. Um, and so in following Jesus, that's probably the simplest kind of explanation I'd give for why we would want to ensure that, you know, our children have a better life than us or our children's children have a better life than us. Now, where it gets really complicated is thinking about what does that mean and to what extent and what are the kind of, bound, what are the, kind of the caveats there. So, um, what uh, kind of, what do we mean when we talk about quality of life and to what extent is sacrifice of like our ability to, or our enjoyment of the consumption of resources um, to what extent do we need to curb that to ensure that quality? And there's lots of so we so this is where it gets complex because it's actually really hard to predict the future, and it's really hard. It's it, it's impossible, humanly speaking, to to predict the long term effects of you know small choices that we make now um, in in all its detail. Right? We have the general picture that if we overconsume, that's not going to be good, but to kind of get into the details is really difficult. Um, from a Christian perspective, there's also difficulty in that we know that um, Jesus' return will revolutionise the world in its, in its um, like, all, all that's wrong with the world will be reverse undone. Mm. And we look forward to a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells and where there's no sickness or crying or pain. And so our hopes for the future are not pinned on our current activity and our ability to conserve resources. Hmm. And so some people would say that the main kind of drive to conserve resources now is to be part of the project of renewing the planet and that Jesus bringing a new heaven and new earth is actually going to be done by Christians doing that work i don't think i i don't see that as i read um although it's a very it's it's an inspiring vision oh absolutely yeah Yeah, it is um i i see that christians are called to kind of love people and kind of make progress towards that Mm. but to not expect that their efforts are going to be the thing that gets across the line Mm -hmm. jesus will return and transform the place in a second, I'd like to say something about final judgment as well. But yeah, you sure, keep going sure. with your, your points, yeah. And so I think, um, yeah, there's a lot of questions in there. Another question, like, okay, so like a question that I throw up to Christians and non-Christians alike is, um, there's an interesting thought experiment where it's like, um, if I told you that I, I, you know, I had a clear view of the future and I just told you that um, the world was going to end, like human, like, all life on earth was going to be gone, done away with in two million years' time. Would you feel bad? Maybe you'd feel bad because it put a time limit on it. Now, how much worse would it be if I said that it's going to be all over, done and dusted in 2,000 years' time? Would you feel... How, would you feel devastated in comparison? The few people that I've asked this like, question to, there's actually not that much of a difference in the emotional response to 2 million or 2,000 years. It's like, oh, it's a long time in the future. Okay. The, the level of, like, the difference is, when I bring that to, like, 200 years, oh, okay. If I say two years, it's like, whoa. 
Okay, that's big. That's huge. And so kind of like the longer into the future we get, the less we care, I think, just naturally. And so that's another like layer of complexity. Um, and it's an interesting question, I think, to, to, to put out there for climate change activists is what do you actually, like what's your vision of the future? How long should the earth be habitable for? Um, because we could all just like, like eat the bare minimum and do the bare minimum and, and consume the bare, like the absolute minimum for survival. And that might give our planet the best chance to be as long-lasting as it possibly could be. But surely that's not what we want. Surely it's not about just as long as it possibly can be. Surely there's a quality of life issue as well. What's our standard of quality of life that we want? So those, I just throw that out there because there's all sorts of complexity. It's not as simple as stop consuming resources and conserve all the resources. Yeah. Anyway bit of a muddled thought process there. Well, what, what I like yeah. about what you've done is you've brought us into the complexity of the situation and given us a particular path forward, which is the path of love mm. and what that might mean for us. Yeah. And so I think that's helpful. We, again, we never claim that these spots will be the last word on any of this. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that, there's a lot more that I think would be really helpful to say. But I just think that you've, you've gotten us to think theologically about this. I just wanted to raise one other aspect, which, um, which, which might, well, it's part of how I think about this as well. Mm-hmm. Could you open up to Revelation uh, 11? Revelation 11. Could you read verses 16 to 18? Yep. Rev 11, 16 to 18 says, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Hmm. Um... Just a little point to jump on your final judgment comment, but I do think that part of the final judgment will be uh, what verse 18 is saying here, that God is going to judge those who destroy the earth. Now, destroy the earth, what, how do you understand what that means? I, I think it's, it's a broad term to talk about how humans have not honored God in their stewardship of the world. So in their sin, in turning people against God, uh, in in uh, you know not giving God the honor that He is due, but part of our vocation as well was to take care of the earth, is to take care of the earth, um, subdue it, fill it, rule it, and in not doing that, that is destroying the earth mm. as well. Mm. So I think there's a there's a holistic view here, and in fact, this is part of the theological link between new creation and humans. Um, Romans eight talks about how you know for. Uh, I consider our sufferings in the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us for since the beginning the, the creation has been subjected to frustration but and then a few verses later it's looking forward to the freedom mm. of the sons of God that will come with the redemption of the bodies the point being that actually the renewal of creation is also tied to the renewal of humanity because humanity had a task to take care of the earth here's the point I think that 
the way in which we see our relationship with the earth is part of what God cares about. Mm. And you see that in places like Revelation 11, 18, where how we have acted and been in the world and with the world is part of that final judgment. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's just a broad, big picture thing. Um, you know, there's actually... We, we've sort of run out of time. We need to finish up yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's there's a whole lot that we could say as well, like beyond and related to climate change, but mass extinction of, of animals, um, uh, thinking about the habitability of, of different uh, areas and, and how lots of areas are not habitable in mm. the same way anymore for, for animals or, uh, and, and for humans. As a side note, humans are animals, but... Sorry, when I say humans and animals, you, you get what I mean. Mm. Um, we could talk about uh, global warming, which we haven't ex- directly talked about as well, mm. and, and methane production, which is a huge part of, of cattle and livestock. Mm. Um, our our over-farming um, of, of cows, mm. uh, especially, uh, has contributed hugely to, to, to global warming. Yeah. We don't even eat all the meat that we produce. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's a lot that we could say, but I, I would put it all under the broad heading of God has given us an ethical uh, responsibility yeah. for the world, and it does matter what we do with it. Now, we can have debates about what that means, mm. but I think that the, the very fact of that is indisputable from Scripture. Yeah, yeah. Other things we didn't talk about, the practical, you know, okay, so what are some ways that we can actually conserve resources in, in like, a helpful way? You know, didn't really talk about that. Um, and that's, that's like, for another time. One thing that does annoy me sometimes is, like, when we, I th- you know, this idea of virtue signaling, I think it's a real, like, it is a real thing. Like, people do virtue signal and they try to get social kudos for caring about the right issues at the right time, the right way sort of thing. Um, that's so it's a reality yeah virtue sing- singling but uh, just because that's a reality doesn't mean that we should just ditch the issues that yes you know people virtue signal with parenting yeah people virtue signal with uh, you know they're, they're well sorry let's just jump on the parenting yeah, one yeah, for yeah. a second we don't say oh this is a, a form of works righteousness. Mm. We should just get rid of parenting. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So yeah, so it's right to call. It's it's right to be wary of virtue signaling and to not want to be a virtue signaler yourself. Yeah. Um. But come on, like, like, like let's cut through that and actually yeah. care about. Even if no one sees anything you ever do mm. in terms of you know using, uh, trying to conserve resources maybe maybe you start eating smaller meals and you don't tell anyone about it yeah you know you do it because ultimately you want to honor god yeah um you don't need to tell anyone about it um but we we should still care about loving others anyway that's just a little last point yeah but um we, we should wrap up um yeah if you've got questions on that feel free to send them through to the to us at um, the Bible Boys with a Z at gmail.com. Is it the Bible Boys? Yes. The. Remember yes. the, the, the yeah. Bible Boys yes. with a Z at gmail.com. Um, ask your questions, we can cover them. Um, and yes, may, like, I'm sure in the future we'll talk about related topics again. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, 
Guess which for you? Seven. Why don't you guess a book of the Bible? Pip? Okay. Matthew? No, 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 I'm not going to guess <laughs> first guess. Okay? I'm not going to waste it. It'd be All amazing right. if you, if you know, you did get it. Yeah. First guess. That would be. Yes. Um, okay, seven questions. Here we go. Yes. Is this book in the New Testament? No. Is this book in the Pentateuch? Yes. <laughs> Is this book after Leviticus? No. <laughs> Is this book... Um... <laughs> Is this book after Genesis? Yes. Oh, do you have to guess now? No, I've got other questions. Yeah, you've got many questions. Does this book... Is this book named after one of the tribes? Kind of? Yes. Is it Leviticus? Yes! Yes! I thought Woo! I could psych you out because I did a Pentateuch book last time you yes. guessed. I think I did Exodus. Yes. And I thought, I'll go back there. He, he won't think about it. No, I, I went back there. Yeah, anyway. Good job. Cool. All right, thanks, listeners. We will see you. Well, we might not see you next week because we've got research. Uh, yes, we'll work true. it out. Yeah. All right. Enjoy this week. Goodbye. Bye.